Good morning, saints. Good morning. Oh, good morning, sinners. All right, we're all here. Good. Sweet. I stole that from somebody. I don't remember where I got that from, but I stole that. Welcome. I'm really glad you're here this morning. You're going to hear that anywhere you go, right? And this, is, this is the South. We're about that Southern hospitality. You're going to hear that in a lot of places, right? But seriously, hear that this morning. Welcome. We're glad you're here. You are welcome in this place. And no one belongs here more than you. You are welcome in this place today. If you slept last night in a dorm room or on a friend's couch, or in the master's suite, or on a cot, or on concrete. You are welcome in this place this morning. No one belongs here more than you. If you were up all night working on a project, or you were up all night with crying kids, amen, or... If you were up all night looking for something that you still haven't found, you are welcome in this place this morning. No one belongs here more than you. If you're here today standing on rock-solid faith, or if you're here today buried under doubt, welcome. No one belongs here more than you. If you grew up in the church, or you've run away from the church, or this is one of the first times you've ever brought yourself to step foot into a church, and you only did it today because this technically isn't a church, then welcome. No one belongs here more than you. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls you. He welcomes you. We serve a God who doesn't just tell us how to get to him. He comes to us. He always initiates. He always makes the first move. He is the one that embodies that radical hospitality that we talk about. And he tells us everyone is welcome with him. It got him into so much trouble. And when Jesus would sit down with people who were seen as the outcasts and were seen as the troublemakers and were seen as the last people that someone who would call himself the son of God should be sitting with. He convicts every one of us. He convicts every one of us and he says, where are you? Where are you? Who are you sharing meals with? Who are you bringing into your life? Who are you showing love to? My prayer is that the church we would get ourselves in trouble because of the kind of people that we're willing to love. That we would get ourselves in trouble, that people would call our character into question because of the depth of grace that we believe in. We believe in grace. We can't help but do it because it's changed us and we know how badly we need it, how much we depend on it, how desperate we are for it. And we know that all is grace. And that God has brought us into a relationship with him through his grace. That's what we've been studying together 
over these past couple of weeks as Paul so eloquently puts it throughout the book of Romans, this, this masterpiece of theology and this masterpiece of, of exposition on the love of God. What one brilliant writer and, and beautiful life once referred to as the relentless tenderness of God. What a beautiful thought. A God who loves us with an untamed fury. A God who was willing to pour himself out because of his love for us. Are you tired of us talking about the love of God? Then too bad, because we haven't gotten it yet. We haven't gotten it yet. We haven't even come close to grasping this idea. We haven't even come close to grasping this idea. This is the God we serve. This is the God that we come together week after week to worship. This is the God that we walk day after day saying that we are following and believing in and living our lives for. This is who he is and this is what he invites us into as well. This morning we're going to be talking about the idea of... That was just the dramatic build-up. <laughs> the idea of worship, all right? <laughs> let's get that effect going, all right? Every time we say the word worship, let's do that, all right? Sweet. <laughs> That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, this idea of worship and worship as our response, first of all, just like we talked about last week. So throughout this book of Romans, and specifically the the verses that we're looking at together today and in this series that we're in, we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And now this next piece that comes into play here where he says, This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. What is? Well, what we've just been talking about over the past couple of weeks, okay? To live in response to grace. In view of God's mercy, worship is our response. In view of who God is and what God has done, this is the only reaction we can have. This is the only thing we can do is to respond in worship to him because of all that he is and all that he has done. For the first 11 chapters of this book, Paul hammers away at the idea of the mercy of God. He talks about the wrath that we deserve, because wrath is real and we all deserve it. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes that on himself in an act of incredible mercy and grace. In in a beautiful picture of God's love for us, the most stunning picture of God's love we could possibly imagine. And in view of that, he says, live in this way. So for 11 chapters, he pounds away at this idea. The mercy of God, 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 the mercy of God. Every one of us need it. We are all desperate for it. The most unbelievable news you can imagine. And it's true. The mercy of God Therefore, in view of that, he says, live like this. In view of that, live like this. So, so what does he say to live like in view of God's mercy? What is our response? Well, last week he says, 
to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, okay? And remember, this is, this is an idea of, of people who would have been hearing this for the first time. They would have been coming out of this of rituals of worship that would have actually involved real sacrifice, okay, like animal sacrifice. It would have been a very vivid, graphic, gruesome imagery for Paul to use. And so it's that imagery of laying ourselves down. Laying ourselves down. This is what Jesus says we had to do as well. He says, if you come after me, you must take up your cross. You must lay down your life. You must lay down your life. And this is what we do. We lay down our lives. We surrender ourselves. And what happens in response to that, we are raised up. Through the power of Jesus Christ, he raises us up. And, and we are caught up in the same pattern that Jesus laid out himself of laying himself down, being buried, and then being raised back to life in the power of the resurrection. And the one who pioneered life brings us into life with him. So Paul says we have to lay ourselves down. And then the other piece that would have been a part of sacrifice, we said, was that often that, that, that animal sacrifice would have been set on fire. Okay, And so that's part of it as well. That we're set on fire, ablaze by the, by the Holy Spirit, so that we become a beacon of grace. So that people see our lives, and, and they see grace being lived out in our lives. We become a beacon of grace. We become sparks of redemption, signal flares against the night. Our lives burning to light the way for others. This is what he says we have to do. And this is who we're called to be, he says. All of that... This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what worship is. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to live, he says. Really interesting point here when he uses this term of spiritual, okay? This is your spiritual act of worship. What does he mean? Why does he use that, that word? Well, as we look at the, the verses around it, Paul's doing a really interesting thing here. So before this, he talks about our bodies, and he brings in that, that physical side of things. He says our bodies. Now he talks about the spirit. And in the next piece, he talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Exactly. Bodies, spirit, mind. All of this in one thought that he is pulling together. All of this together, converging Together, And this is an intentional move on Paul's part. He is hammering away at us the idea that life in Christ is holistic surrender. It is holistic surrender. It is active engagement of everything that we are. All-encompassing existence. Engagement of all that we are for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the world around us, he says. So this is what he's getting at. When he talks about that, there's, there's another piece as well, though. As we look a little deeper at this word of spiritual, then we look back and we realize that in the original language that this is written in, there are multiple ways of actually translating that original word. And in some different translations of Scripture, you'll see the different uses, okay? So maybe in your Bible it says spiritual. In that case, it's getting at the idea that worship something that is inner, it is real, it is not just a surface thing, but it gets to the depths of who we are, um, that it's not just a going through kind of ritual motions, right? But it is actually 
living that out from the inside. So it's not just about, oh, I attended church last week. No, it, it doesn't have to do with that. Or it's just like, oh, I had my hand up like extra high in worship last week. No, it's not just about that. This is getting at a real inner thing, a transformation that is happening from the inside and spilling out of us. It's something that's more than surface, but it goes to the depths of who we are. The next uh, possible translation there is the idea of reasonable. And, And you'll have that in some of your translations. This is your reasonable act of worship. And that is very fitting as well. That in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices because this is the only reasonable thing to do. This is the logical thing to do in light of that reality. In light of that, it is logical to do this. It is fitting to do this. It is appropriate to do this. It is right to do this. Okay? The next possible translation is the idea of the word true. That this is your true act of worship. This is your true act of worship. And I love that word because it kind of pulls in both of what we've just talked about. It pulls in kind of the spiritual and the the reasonable together. This is your true act of worship. This is what true worship is, is to live like this. Paul challenges us. It's also interesting to me because we've got this idea of spirit, of spiritual worship and true worship playing off of each other. And immediately, my mind goes back to John chapter 4. When Jesus is in a conversation with a woman and she's talking to him about the mechanics of worship and where is the right place to worship and who is right in the way that they worship. They do it this way. We do it this way. Who is right? And wanting to draw those lines and, and create those categories. And Jesus completely blows past that. And he crosses over those lines. He climbs over those walls. And he blows past that. And he says, no, no, no. Worship is like this. He says, you must worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not about worshiping God here or worshiping God here. It's about worshiping God in spirit and worshiping God in truth. Worship is to worship him in spirit, engaging our whole selves. It's real. It's inner. It's coming from the depths of who we are and working itself out. Worship is about truth, authentic hearts, authentic hearts, our lives matching up with the things that we actually say, the power of our lives matching up with the force of our words. And whenever we see this failing or we see this failing, it's easy to pick up on, isn't it? And we see it and and it feels empty to us. And it feels weak to us. And it feels like something is missing. And that's because it is. Jesus says to us, and then Paul echoes Jesus by saying, worship in spirit. Engage your whole selves with it. Let it be real. Let it come from the deepest part of who you are, he says. And worship in truth. Authentic hearts. Your lives matching up with the things that you say you are about. From the depths of who you are. 
from your real lives, everyday lives. Declare back to God, we love you too. We love you too. Romans 1 through 11 hammers away. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And worship is our response to that. And we say, we love you too. We love you too. It's all we can do. What else can we do? What else would be reasonable? What else would be logical? From the bottom of who we are, we love you too. Worship is also reality. Worship is also reality. One month from today um, will mark three years since Sarah's mom passed away from an aggressive form of brain cancer. And I'll never forget, soon after the diagnosis came back, we were in a worship service together, and the news was incredibly difficult. It was, it was clear. There wasn't any question. And there was nothing that any of us could do about it. And yet we're in the middle of this worship service, and I'll never forget seeing her completely engaged in what was happening. Voice lifted up, hands lifted up, worshiping with everything that she had. And when I saw Sarah's mom worshiping like that, there's this thought that came to my mind, and I, it was this thought of, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad for this moment right here because this is kind of her getting to escape from reality for a few brief moments. I'm really thankful that she's getting this experience to escape from that reality, even just for this short time. And then I realized that that was completely wrong. That was completely wrong. I feel like the Holy Spirit corrected me in that moment and said, this is not escaping reality. This is embracing reality. This is reality. And I think that's what worship does for us. Worship reorients us into the ultimate reality of the universe. It pulls back the curtain on everything else that is going around us. It, doesn't, it does not deny the circumstances that we're in the middle of, that's not it. It looks right in the eye of those circumstances. It embraces those circumstances. It sees the truth of those circumstances and the difficulty and the pain and the tragedy of those circumstances. It doesn't gloss over them, not at all, not at all. But in the midst of embracing that reality... It also embraces the deeper reality, the ultimate reality of the universe. Yahweh is God and I am his. Yahweh is God and I am his. And even when the world around me is sliding off of its foundations, Yahweh is God and I am his. And worship reorients us into that ultimate reality. Every Sunday when we come together in here like this as a community, when we're linked together as a family, 
We're not escaping reality. We're proclaiming reality. We're embracing reality. We're getting reoriented into reality. And we're being reminded as we remember the incredible acts of God throughout history. What he has done and what he's done for us. What he has done in us and what he's doing through us. And we experience his presence. Not because God only lives in these sacred kinds of spaces. Absolutely not. God's presence is everywhere. So every place and every moment is an opportunity for worship. But as we come together in his presence together, we're linked together in that reality. And we experience that as we sing those songs, as we hear the scripture, as we pray together. We're experiencing reality. And then we anticipate reality as well. So we remember, we experience, and we anticipate as we look forward to when God sets all things right. When God redeems what we thought was beyond redemption. When God sets all things right. Worship pulls back the curtain and helps us catch a glimpse of the ultimate reality of the universe Yahweh is God and I am his. Our circumstances are real. Our circumstances at times can be tragic. Our circumstances can be incredibly painful. Our circumstances can threaten to crush us. But even in the midst of those moments, we declare Yahweh is God and I am his. That is the ultimate reality. So when we see tragedies unfold like we did this week, unthinkable things happening like the bombing at the marathon and then the tragedy that unfolds out of that, unthinkable things. The world shakes. And yet in the midst of that, we embrace the reality. Yahweh is God and I am his. When we get that news that we cannot believe and it just blindsides us out of nowhere. Yahweh is God, and I am His. When we lay awake, agonizing over that child that we've lost contact with, that we wish would come back, the reality is still there. Yahweh is God, and I am His. My family is crumbling and breaking apart. Yahweh is God, and I am his. When the job goes away or won't come, Yahweh is God, and I am his. This is the ultimate reality of the universe, and that is what worship declares. It reminds us of the deepest truths. It does not gloss over our problems, not at all. It confronts our problems with this truth. It doesn't look away from the difficulty. It doesn't just throw some nice sayings out there to help us kind of swallow it a little bit easier. No, it does not do that. Worship engages us in reality, helps us to embrace it. Yahweh is God and I am his. It reminds us that God is father, that God is sovereign king, That God is mighty, that God is compassionate, that God is peace, that God is the provider, that God is faithful, that God is able, that God is redeemer, 
that God is shepherd, that God is greater, that God is with us, that God is for us, that God is beside us, that God is behind us, and that God is within us. Orients us and anchors us in the reality that Yahweh is God and I am his. Even as the storm rages around us, we are anchored in that. Worship is our response. Worship is also reality. And that's why we gather together and we declare these truths. We declare it from the bottom of who we are and we live it out in our lives every day, everywhere we go, every moment, an opportunity to worship and declare that reality. Yahweh is God and I am His. Amen.